Today on the podcast, we are continuing our series, We Believe, with the topic of salvation. And so glad to have Pastor Phil Kramer back with us. How's it going, Phil? Keith, it's going great, brother. Great to be back with you as well. Yes, absolutely. I had a great time last week with Pastor Josh, but always good to get the uh, OG crew back on the podcast uh, as we talk about salvation. Now, I have to admit, we missed you last week uh, because some of our listeners, they requested that in, in honor of the Arkansas win that you call the Hogs on the podcast. Is it too late? It's it's not too late, and it's never going to be a good time to do that. But, you know, the thing is that when Florida plays Arkansas – I might as well plan. I mean, I did not intentionally plan that to be out on that particular weekend. It just happened to be the weekend that the Bucks were playing uh, down in Houston. So, like, and I went to the game. But honestly, it's probably going to be a good idea going forward not to be here on any Sunday after Florida plays Arkansas. And here's why: if Arkansas wins, I'm never going to hear the end of it. Okay. And if Florida wins, being the pastor. It's really not in good form for me to just crow about it all morning and really enjoy the fruits of, of the victory. So what's the point of even being here? So I've just decided I'm probably not going to be here on the Sunday after Florida plays Arkansas. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan because it sounds like a no-win situation. And speaking of no-win situation, the Bucks played the Titans this past weekend. Let's not talk about that, <laughs> we man, because we, we just we, we want to maintain good Christian fellowship in here, and I would not want to, uh, you know, overstep my bounds. That's right. That's right. We've got a lot to talk about today, so we'll move on and uh, talking about the topic of salvation. So um, you began the message talking about uh, Calvinism and Arminianism, um, but that raises the question, Phil, why so much focus on those two uh, theological camps. Aren't there other, you know, camps in Christianity just beside those two? Well, yes, there's certainly some some other systems, theological systems or camps out there. Again, you could talk about Roman Catholicism, you could talk about Lutheranism, you could talk about Anglicanism. But the reason typically why when evangelicals start talking about salvation, in this case again, salvation, is uh, because Calvinism and Arminianism and really Wesleyanism is, is very similar to Arminianism, those are the ones that are going to be the most uh, compatible with most evangelical Bible-believing churches, right? For one thing, I mean, Calvinism, yes, is oftentimes associated with, with Presbyterians, but there's, in many ways, there's probably just as many Calvinistic Baptists out there now as there are Presbyterians or others. And so, in other words, what I'm saying is that you can be a Calvinist, but not, you know, have this, uh, you know, requirement for infant baptism, for example, Right. And then, of course, Arminianism and Wesleyanism, I mean, that covers a whole host of what I would call evangelical non-mainline denominations, right? Again, Southern Baptists, uh, but to say, you know, even Southern Baptists, you could have Calvinistic Southern Baptists, you can have Arminian Southern Baptists, you've got all kinds of folks within that camp. So, uh, first of all, I think the reason why we, we tend to focus on Calvinism and Arminianism is because those are the ones that are the most represented in kind of like our world, in a sense, you know, kind of the, the non-denominational slash Southern Baptist slash Pentecostal, you know, that type of thing. So those are one of the reasons why we, we talk about that. Yeah, thank you so much for clarifying that. Um, well, why do you say that, you know, if you were to ask someone, are you Calvinist or are you Arminian, why, why did you say that that presents a false dichotomy? And if it's a false dichotomy, what's the solution? 
Sure. So, so again, these are the two that we typically talk about because they're the ones that are most represented, you know, in our congregation and in most, again, kind of Baptist or non-denominational evangelical congregations. So I think any of the isms are primarily man-contrived uh, systems. You know, that doesn't mean that they're flat out wrong or there's something, you know, ungodly about them, but it's just the fact is, I mean, men sat around and, and to the best of their ability and, and based on their opinion, they said, hey, this is kind of the theological system that I'm, that I'm espousing or, or a system that's linked with a particular, again, John Calvin, Jacob Arminianus, uh, or, or, sorry, Arminianus, Arminius, uh, John Wesley, right? So, but, but those are still just men. At, at the end of the day, they're just, they're, they're just men. Now, if, if you do go all in with one of these systems or tribes or whatever words you want to use, then yeah, you're pretty much locked into that system. Unless, of course, you create little subsystems. And of course, even within Calvinism, and even within Arminianism, you'll have little subgroups running around, right? I mean, even some, I know some people who have said, yeah, I'm not a five-point Calvinist, I'm about a 3.75 Calvinist, right? So, I mean, there, there's all kinds of wiggle room uh, within the groups, but at the end of the day for me, as I said on Sunday morning, uh, the question is not, what does John Calvin say, or what does Jacob Arminius say, or what does John Wesley say? The operative question is, what does the Bible say? And guess what? I truly believe that when you honestly come to the Scripture and you truly take the Scriptures for what they say uh, across the board, you're not going to fall neatly and, and, and plainly into any one of these systems or camps. It's just not going to happen because there's tensions between these. And the only way you, you eliminate the tensions is to, is to bury the accelerator on, on some Scriptures and then just minimize other Scriptures or somehow explain them away. Yeah, uh, that's a great point, um, and you know, I think you're exactly right in the fact that you know, a lot of times we try to take these concepts that are so far above, um, really our reasoning and understanding and intellect, and put it into a neat little box where we could explain it, and and sometimes it just doesn't work that way. So we, like you said, we have to ask that question: What does the Bible say? Um, but Phil, it seems like a lot of times um, some Christians, even you know, folks that I've talked to, they don't like this idea of election. And, and when you start to talk about that, and that is the idea that God would choose some people to be saved before He even created the world. Um, but Ephesians one three through five seems pretty clear. So why are some people so opposed to the idea of election? Well, since you mentioned Ephesians 1, 3 through 5, and of course we did talk about this uh, on Sunday, but I'll just read that once again uh, for our listeners. So Ephesians 1, 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So, uh, some people don't like the idea of election, uh, primarily because they have a problem with God having sovereign control over anything, right? And I'm not talking about an atheist or a humanist. I'm talking about there's some Christians out there that don't like the idea of God being able to come in and just decree whatever he wants to. 
especially in regard to their specific lives. Uh, but again, the scripture clearly says our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. So our God is sovereign. We already talked about that in the message about the doctrine of God. But at the same time, while Ephesians 1, 3 through 5, seems pretty clear that there is this concept of election, and when I say election, we're talking about specific people at this point. There are some places in the Bible where God elects a nation you know, and chooses a specific nation or chooses some people for service, maybe a prophet or, or something along those lines. But, but in some cases, you see language that, to me, is pretty obvious that there is, a, there is a, an individual emphasis to election. Now, at the end of the day, there's more to the Bible than just Ephesians chapter 1. Hello, right? And, and that's part of the problem. Remember what we said earlier, sometimes when people get so, uh, I would say, so uh, tied up with their particular system, they tend to really, really make a, a big deal out of certain scriptures, but then it's kind of like, well, these other scriptures over here, I'm going to do the hand wave, or I'm going to do the Jedi mind trick. You know, this scripture does not say what you think it says, right? Okay, but at the end of the day, what does the Bible say? Now, yet on, on Sunday, we talked about uh, some of the different perspectives on election. Uh, your, your more Calvinist and Reformed folks will, will typically hold to what's called unconditional election. Okay, unconditional election is usually the ones that kind of get a lot of people bristling because unconditional election says that God chooses certain people to be saved based on nothing other than His mysterious, sovereign, good pleasure, right? Has nothing to do with anything God might even see in advance that would take place in this person's life, whether it's a good work, which we know that's not legit because the Bible says we're saved by God's grace, not by our good works, but even that they would make a faith commitment to God. God does not even take that into account because they're not even capable of doing that. As we said yesterday, uh, or, or Sunday in, in, in the message, okay? So the unconditional aspect of election, a lot of people do have a problem with that. I would not have a problem with unconditional election if it was crystal clear in the Bible that that was the case. Now, again, remember, we're, we're, we're talking about the fact that the, the, the truth is not found exclusively in this camp or this camp or whatever, right? But but I, I personally don't see this, this aspect of... of just complete, unconditional election in the Bible, okay? Um, so, but, but if, if I saw it in there, I wouldn't have a problem with it, okay? So, so now the question is, on what basis does God make this, this choice and this decision? I don't believe in, in absolute free will either, quite frankly, right? Because if, if that was the case, then yes, God would have, would have somehow abdicated his, his sovereignty um, in exchange for this ridiculous amount of human agency, okay? So there's, there's, there's a, there, as we said in the message, there are two truths, twin truths in tension here, right? Some people uh, have, have framed it in terms of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. But I will say this, I do believe that there is some aspect of human agency that allows human beings to make a conscious and clear decision on their own to follow God, to trust Christ, to receive Jesus, yes, there is this aspect of election for sure, okay? But if, 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 it, if it's 100% of God and none of us whatsoever, 
then quite frankly, I think John 3.16 is just an illusion, right? That whosoever should believe in him, well, what does that really mean if it's not truly, you know, a, a decision that's made by the individual in some way, shape, or form? Uh, for one thing, if, if, the, if, if we cannot own our decisions because God has pretty much worked it out what decisions we're going to make, then God's not just if he holds us morally responsible for our decisions. And, and second of all, how can we have any relational value whatsoever in our connection with God if, if he pretty much arranged it to begin with, right? Just some things to think about. And man, I'm telling you, one message in one podcast, we will not cover all of the, the bases. But man, I you know, there's there's so much to say. Well, but I'll leave it at that. Yeah, and it, it sounds like what you're saying, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you know there there are some things in the scriptures that um, we we believe that they're true because the scriptures teach it. Um, but as far as how it works and, and understanding all the intricacies, um, we, we just have to trust that it, it's a mystery. I, one of the things that comes to my mind is um, like the incarnation. Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. Uh, you know, in, in our minds, a lot of people will say, well, it can't be both. It has to be one or the other. And like, no, it, he, it's both. Um, is that one of these cases where the, the, te- the Scripture teaches this, um, and so even though we don't know how it all works, we believe that it does. Yeah, you, I, I personally think you have, to, you have to leave room for some tension here. Now, there, you know, a Reformed uh, person, a Calvinist, one, one way that you basically do away with the tension is you just throw it all up under the sovereignty of God, right? And, and if you roll up everything under the sovereignty of God so that every single thing that happens, you know, has God as its, as its cause— uh, okay, well, that's one way to eliminate the tension, but then you also create other questions and issues as well when you when you do that. Such as again, the moral responsibility piece, the relational value. I, you know, I I did mention Donald Gray Barnhouse's uh, illustration, and and some people have attributed this to Charles Haddon Spurgeon also, where you know you have the gates of heaven, and uh, you know written on the outside of the gates of heaven, you see the words "Whosoever will may come." But written on the inside of the gates of heaven, looking out at the people who are coming, you see the words chosen before the foundation of the world, right? And, and that's, I mean, that you have to have some kind of reconciliation, right? Some kind of reconciliation. Anyway. Yeah, we could, uh, we could do a whole podcast on just this topic alone, but uh, we got to move on. Uh, but good, good stuff. Uh, well, you asked the question, which comes first? Faith or regeneration? Why is that an important question to address? Okay, so this this one may be kind of a no-brainer for some folks as they just think about it at the surface level, but let's let's go a little deeper than that. So if regeneration comes first and that enables someone to actually believe, because you know, again, kind of in a reform worldview, as we said in a, in a theological system uh, that we said in the message, uh, because of the total depravity of, of the human heart, the human heart doesn't even have a capacity to believe, right? Doesn't even have a capacity to respond. A dead person can't do anything according to the Reformed perspective. Uh, so therefore, God has to step in and regenerate this person so that they can even respond to God in faith. Uh, so if that's the case, and I'm not saying this is true of everyone of a, of a Reformed and Calvinistic perspective, but if that's the case... What's the point of evangelism, 
right? If it's 100% God stepping in to, uh, you know, regenerate this person so that they can even believe, right? And, and then, of course, the act of believing is not, I mean, depending on who you talk to, it may or may not even be a truly volitional decision. What's the point of evangelism? Now, sometimes this is a characterization in defense of, of, uh, of, of people who are pretty hardcore Calvinists. Um, sometimes the characterization is that, yeah, there's there's nobody who's who's truly into this reformed theology uh, who's going to be witnessing, right? Okay, well, I always like to remind people that probably the greatest soul-winning pastor of the 20th century and certainly the author of the greatest personal evangelism curriculum was D. James Kennedy, who was a Presbyterian, right? Who, who was a, I mean, thoroughly reformed in his theology, and yet he was... He probably, through his curriculum and equipping people, probably led as many people to Jesus as anybody in the 20th century, except for maybe Billy Graham, right? So, but, but, but nevertheless, it runs, it runs into the question, what's the point of, of actually sharing the gospel and, and pleading for people to come to Jesus, okay? But if faith comes first, if, if, if someone comes to faith in Jesus and then they're regenerated, I'll tell you, if nothing else, that makes 2 Corinthians 5.11 have a lot more sense and meaning where Paul says, knowing what it means to fear the Lord, we persuade men. Paul was persuading people. I mean, he was he was pleading for people to come to Jesus. And uh, and quite honestly, if, if, you, if you unpack this far enough, this whole thing of regeneration coming before faith with some with, with some of the people who are who are ardently reformed, they they will call into question the idea of even, you know, calling for people to to, to come to faith in Christ. So anyway, that's to me, that's one of the so what's of the question. It's not simply a theological, you know, chase your tail kind of thing. Yeah, uh, definitely an important topic uh, to address. Well, Phil, what about eternal security? How can we say that we can't lose our sal- salvation if our salvation is at least somewhat contingent on our decision to receive Jesus in the first place? Man, lots to say about this one. So, first of all, uh, yes, I do believe that salvation is first and foremost a work of God. But at the same time, and I'm just kind of describing this at the street level, do we have to have some skin in the game in terms of, in terms of our faith uh, response to Jesus? Yes, I believe that. Um, but here's, here's the challenge. You know, if you take that too far, and again, this is where you kind of find yourself in the middle here, because the Arminians who, who would also say, yes, absolutely, we have free will, those are also the same people to say you can lose your salvation. Uh-oh, right? You can lose it because you, you, you received it based on a decision you made. So therefore, when you start making decisions to sin and all these other things and live in sin, you could lose your salvation. Well, I, I don't really believe that based on the nature of salvation, that it is a work of God, in addition to the fact that we see in Ephesians 1 that in a few other places as well, that when we receive Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. Now, here's the interesting thing. In many cases, some of the denominations that make such a big deal about the Holy Spirit also say you can lose your salvation. To me, you can't have it both ways. But, but the challenge is, you know, how do you find the balance between saying this is a work of God, but yes, again, I'm using street language here, we have some skin in the game in our, in our personal response to the Lord, that truly we own it and God's going to hold us accountable for it one way or the other. Uh, it's just, it's very interesting. And of course, the, the side question is, well, then if, if someone, you know, trusts Christ and, 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 they, and they get saved and then they 
fall away or they later on have a deconversion story or they say, I don't believe this anymore, or they just get into sin, you know, have they lost their salvation? And of course, the, the reform perspective would say they never had it to begin with, right? And, and I totally agree with that. I mean, think about Matthew 7, and this is the last thing I'll say on this one, Matthew 7, uh, 21 and 23, where, where the, Jesus said, in that day, some people will come, come to me. Well, actually, it's many people will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this, 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 this? And Jesus will not say to them, I knew you, but then you lost it. No, he's going to say, I never knew you, right? So they're never saved in the first place. But again, great question about eternal security. And, and that's actually going to come up next Sunday as well in the message on, uh, on the Christian life and sanctification. Yeah, definitely good stuff, and looking forward to that message next week as well. Uh, Well, we are almost out of time for today, but before we go, uh, one more thing. You said that knowing what's what about God should always elicit an emotional response because what we know about God always occurs in the context of relationship. Can you explain a little more about what that means? Well, briefly, I'll just simply say, wouldn't it be sad... If, if we go eight weeks in the series, what we believe, man, and, and people walk away with a bunch of new information, maybe things that they didn't know about, about the doctrine of God or any number of things, the atonement, right? But, 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 but their hearts are not stirred. Their hearts are not warmed. And, and honestly, you know, having our minds stimulated and, and, and gaining more information about God is important, but unless our hearts are warmed and, and, and truly inspired by what we hear— Right with with with, with all the, the the faculties that God has given us, we would be missing the mark, and so I just thought about that as, as you know I was preparing the message for this uh, this uh, past weekend, is just man this is this is exciting I mean this is awesome stuff and it, we we should be filled with joy and peace and hope and all of these other things that we talked about in the message on Sunday. Yeah, that is uh, so good, and that is our prayer uh, for us certainly and uh, for all of our listeners as we continue throughout this week. But Phil, thank you so much for your time today and can't wait until next week. That's right, Keith. God bless you, my friend. Thank you for listening to the More and Better Disciples podcast, a ministry of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. To learn more, join us on our website, crossgate.org.